Hello, my name is Kirsty Ann Waters and I am a Talking Heads volunteer for the Scottish Mental Health Arts Festival 2023. Welcome to the podcast. As part of this year's festival, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking to two members of the Koi Collective, as well as writer Sally McAllister and director Grace Baker on their new play, Hysterical. Hysterical sees five clinically mad women meet in a small town hall to perform a play for a seemingly sane audience. But is it a play? Or is it a warning? Worse still, is it an intervention? Based on real women in real times, Hysterical is a free fall through a categorically inaccurate history of mad women. This interview covered an array of topics, from women and madness, to the patriarchy, to even the Barbie movie. So without further ado, here is the amazing team behind Hysterical. Enjoy! Would you like to introduce yourselves? I'm Sally. I am the writer of Hysterical. My name is Grace Baker and I am the director of Hysterical. My name is Zara Louise Kennedy and I'm an actor and part of Koi Collective. And I'm Evie Mortimer. I'm an actor and I'm also one of the founding members of Koi. Great, thank you guys. We've penned Hysterical as a feminist freefall through the history of the medical industry. It's an interesting one. Essentially, it's about five dead women who unite in a church hall. And at first, you just think that they're there to have a good time. And then it slowly sinks in that perhaps they're there uh, as a warning for what's happened in the past to women in the medical system. Can I ask you about the writing process? You mentioned how it was, would you say, funded by an arts festival. Yes. Um, so do you want to talk about that and the writing process? Of course, yeah. So we have worked with Jason and Heart of Hoyt before. Mm-hmm. And we brought a show there about grief and young people around this time last year. Mm-hmm. And it really worked. I think we really bonded with the venue and the ethos of the place, which is why we got invited back. I am a really big research-based writer. I get hooked on topics and ideas and big books and I read and I read. So this was an ideal topic for me because a lot of the women that we reference in the play is they're, they're, they are based on truth, on true stories that I've picked out. And I think it's really interesting because they are like obscenely funny stories, ridiculous stories or yeah. stories that you would feel were like fantastical, but they did happen. Which is just such an interesting thing about women's health in general is that some of these stories are so either inspiring or entertaining and yet they still haven't been heard. Mm -hmm. So that was a really big part of it for me was just reading up on everything. And then of course the way that the Koi Collective works is very collaborative Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm a very open writer so it's great to have that feedback as well. We've had like a drafting process where I'd give it to them, they'd have a play with it, we'd see what works, we'd see what didn't. We added song halfway through which was really cool they aren't exclusive to Scotland there is one character who is a real character called Celia who was brought up she she grew up abroad but she is from Morningside originally other than that they are scattered around the globe Mm -hmm. and I think basically I, I read a lot like I read a lot and I read a lot that was just like general stories at the time that were historically interesting to me and then also I read a lot of heavy very sad books about hysteria (laughs) and picked from them they all have the similar they're always like mad women sad women (laughs) 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 women. that's such a valid point 
the language we use around them, I'm sure oh, you've thought yeah. about this a lot as a writer. Yeah, big time. But how did you land on the typo? Like? Hysterical. Hysterical came before we actually had any of the stories. <laughs> and I think it's because we all found the idea and the term so interesting. Mm-hmm. And also just like the ridiculousness of it, the idea of like wombs wandering around bodies and that sort of yes. dictating how women yes. feel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that all came quite early on. I also just loved the double meaning of it. Because mm-hmm. it is also a very funny play. <laughs> As if I do say so myself. <laughs> it is. It is very It's funny. a hoot. I love watching you guys do it. So yeah, that is where that came from. It was very interesting. That's amazing. <laughs> we'll move on to director extraordinaire. Hello. <laughs> uh, would you like to uh, speak to the same question about the process of getting to Like, how did you come about? How did you get together? And how did you find directing this title's play? I started working with Koi Collective... Year and a half ago, I was studying my masters while these guys were doing their undergrad, and we were all on a Zoom call, and they were talking about wanting a female director, and I was the only female director. (laughs) So I sent a little message, and I was like, "Look, if you guys do want a director, let me know." And then we worked with the amazing Sally for Crossing the Void, which we took to the Fringe, and we were all so surprised by how well received it was Mm -hmm. the process of crossing the void was just amazing as sally said she's a very communicative writer Mm -hmm. she'll take feedback anything so that was handy and then especially with koi because they are so collaborative everything was just kind of nice and easy Mm -hmm. and then this process has actually been similar to crossing the void but also very different i think we've probably had about two or three rehearsals with every single member of the cast in the room (laughs) and not on a Zoom call or 100 miles away. So it's been a challenge, but it has also been really fun. And Sally said, like, the play is funny and it's been so fun to work on and it's been lovely experimenting. It's a play that obviously has stage directions, but there is so much that you can play around with and figure out as you go and I think we all really enjoy that side of it we enjoy being imaginative and creative and yeah I mean it's unique for sure (laughs) Um, as a person who has lived experience with mental health I am really (laughs) excited to see it and it just sounds like something that I would be very much into and I really like the collaborative nature of working hybrid and really making it not easy but accessible to everyone that you Mm -hmm. need that's really great um, and you were the only female director mm-hmm. yeah so <laughs> speak on that <laughs> on my course they accepted three directors two males and then me and then yeah it was just kind of me and two guys for two mm-hmm. years trying to figure it all out wow. there were some issues with that but yeah I don't know it was just lovely seeing a female led company and I was like yeah I went in on that yeah 100% and next I want to ask you about the idea of sanity madness how it relates to how it relates to femininity and women over history and how this relates to the themes of the play I think there's a line in the play that kind of encapsulates it perfectly where a character's asked oh so you weren't mad then and she goes no I was just a woman like a clever smart intelligent woman and I think it's repeated quite a few times and every time it's just as poignant of being like yeah you were a marginalised 
part of society that was constantly oppressed and put down and you wanted to better yourself and everybody thought you were crazy for it. Mm -hmm. And I feel as women in today's society, if we still try and break the boundaries, oh, she's crazy, oh, she's a psycho, oh, she's this. No, just being a person with feelings and emotions. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think it's interesting as well that I think all tellings of madness and sanity and what it means is something you've been dubbed as, mm -hmm. something you've been named as, oh, she was mad. There's no actual scientific indocumentation diagnosed with madness. It's a formed idea that has been made and is just so intricately woven into the female identity that it's almost like an easy cop-out. And this is what I think sounds it's still really used. Well. It's still used. And it, I think it is just something that is, mm. as soon as any, anyone tries to question or if there's other alternatives, it's like when you strip it down, it's for whatever reason, someone is wanting to suppress someone by categorizing them as this thing that actually doesn't exist and it's like an idealized mm -hmm. thing mm -hmm. so i think sally's done really well in not letting the girls just be archetypes of they're certain arrays boxes. they're not put in boxes they actively whenever a character tries starts slipping into saying actually yeah maybe i was a bit crazy or i was the girls love to remind no that's a learnt behavior that's a learnt response yeah. actually you just were misunderstood, you'd be misdiagnosed, you weren't listened to. And it's so, so women supporting women mm. in the play, like as Evie says, as soon as a character starts to slip into that, it's like her girls are like, nah, nah I've got you. And I love that. Yeah. It's mm. redefine it in your mind. Yeah. I think it's interesting on that. I think madness is a means of control more than anything else. Or mm. dubbing someone mad is a means of control rather than it is a means of understanding mm -hmm. or recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think if you are afraid of something, it's easier to dismiss it than it is to accept it or try and explore it. And I think it's really interesting because obviously this play is exploring that within women, but I think madness is a term that is so readily prescribed, just like in everyday conversation to people that people don't necessarily agree with. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I feel like at the moment it's, it's linked to that sort of narrative that people are like ascribing to doctors who don't like who are going on strikes mm. or like teachers who are demanding more pay it's, like, it's outrageous it's mad it's madness and it's not mm -hmm. you just don't like the answer and i think that's a big part of the play and it's, there's yeah, it's very stigmatizing language which is a lot of it what the festival tries to cover mm. and construct really i was just going to say that i think anyone coming to see our play at any point there's a real beauty in how all of these stories are very easily available and relatable even though they go back years and decades you listen to these women's stories and they are they are mad they are insane when you listen to what these women were put through and why you can compare that to today and what we go through in modern day and there are so many lines that cross in those stories even though we have Decades of difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my. Yeah. That's <laughs> a big one of our main things as well when we were starting the company was portraying characters that are like rooted in authenticity that aren't mm -hmm. allowing themselves to be so out with the lines of reality that you see it and you think I can't place you, I can't see you, I can't see myself in you in that moment. So we were like, any time that we could portray a character where it's like a, anything, any time we try and portray characters that are like authentic and the fact that 
like you said, it transcends time. Like the reality of these women, we can't relate to being in France in the 1700s. Like we never will be able to. But we can understand what it feels like to be a person that feels that they've been pushed to the fringe yeah, and can't see themselves anywhere. That, yeah. yeah. I feel like that's something that was done so well in Crossing the Void as well. It was just real people on a stage and you could identify parts of yourself in all five of them. And again, that's happened with this one where, yeah, it's someone from the 1500s and yet you're still like, I get you and I get where you're coming from. And that's terrifying. Mm. That's so scary it's that like we can still... Yeah. No, okay, we're not being burned at the stake, oh. but <laughs> there are so many similarities and I think... That is fucking scary. Yeah. Yeah. So, do either of you two want to speak about your characters and where they're from in time? Because I'd be interested to hear why those particular women were chosen. And I play the character of Mercy, who is from the 18th century. Mm -hmm. And she is a young woman who grew up in the care system. And her narrative is basically all about how in the systems of care, People sometimes slip through the cracks and are left unrepresented or things that should have been flagged and care that should have been there has been overlooked. So her whole thing is that she is in denial. She really wants to believe that the life she had was actually not as bad as she knows it was to keep her own grasp on reality. And she goes through a little arc in the play where she can't really disillusion herself anymore and she has to face the reality that no, she was let down by the system and more should have been done for her. And I think, again, as we said, like the parallels to now and to the way that all our like, public services have been stretched so thin mm -hmm. under mm -hmm. the Tory government that things like this do happen all the time. People slip through the cracks every day in either the NHS or the care system, which is no fault of the people that are working there which is what Sally touches on as well, that she mm -hmm. feels an affinity to the people that cared for her and doesn't see them as responsible. She sees the institution as responsible. But she has a beautiful line where it's like, people can make mistakes when they're overworked, but they can also be really good. And it's the fact that you see this parallel. It's not as black and white as just, I've been failed and this is why. Yeah, she's a tricky wee gal. <laughs> <laughs> and I play Celia, um, and she is from the 19th century. <laughs> Celia has a bit more fun on stage, I think. <laughs> she doesn't like to address her trauma, and her way of dealing with that is laughter. Embracing her sexuality. Well, she decides that it's better for her to suppress a lot of the things that are maybe wrong in her life. She definitely, through some issues that she goes through, which I won't spoil, she has some medical anxiety, which again, because of her nature, she really tries to suppress, but I think it's very, it's maybe not something that's spoken about enough, medical anxiety in the modern day. It's still a massive thing in lots of different forms and there's also the element of she's got a lot of internalised misogyny towards her own sex life and what that means as a woman in the 19th century. Her husband is um, maybe not as loving as he should be and I think that's affecting a lot of her own thoughts on herself. So many different bubbles are relatable in so many different ways. I think the more that 
I've read about Celia and the more I've understood about her, I see a lot of her little intricacies dotted around in people I know, in myself. It's very interesting hearing, just as what you said, it all goes back, like everything interweaves with the past and mm -hmm. what we experience today. But yeah, she's also a funny one. <laughs> <laughs> you guys really touched on my next question, which is for everyone. As I'm going to ask, <laughs> what structure is still holding us back? In terms of <laughs> women, in terms of people with lived experience of mental health, in terms of medical, and who is responsible for them? I feel like so much of it is derived around the medical industry to do with practices of care and being agent, having agency within yourself but also relying on other people to aid you in your own personal betterment. And I think a lot of the narrative is about how these women were failed and how we can see it now if you relate it to now the fact of no one being able to get any kind of help from the doctors, waiting lists getting longer, people just, you know, everything becoming normalised, services are stretched thin and it is everyone we know that is impacted by it the most. I think a lot of it derives down still to the patriarchy and the fact that these mm. pillars haven't been disassembled in any way yet. I We're think. still not equal. But I think that's exactly, I think progression happens when entire systems are destabilized, when it's a full rethought and a rethinking of things. Yeah. I think what's so frustrating about massive power structures like the patriarchy mm. for marginalised groups across the board is that it is founded on nothing <laughs> there are no facts yeah. there is no evidence there is no reason for it to be there so when you actually get round to trying to dismantle it it's extremely difficult because you can't dismantle anything because there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. It's founded on lies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so how do you actually go back? Yeah. Is that in Bar this Barbie? But I'm not going to talk about Barbie. Who's just thinking about Barbie? Right. Well, like, <laughs> don't ask about Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> do it! <laughs> um, I think something that I found really interesting yesterday was we were trying to solidify what song we were going to open the whole thing on. Mm -hmm. And we decided on Savage Daughter, Savage Daughter. and I was like, because it, it became one? very popular on TikTok. Oh yes. And so I looked at it on TikTok, and I was like, find some of the videos of people doing amazing things with incredible makeup. And she's basically saying how one of the lines is, "I will not lower my voice. I am going to be strong. I'm not going to lower my voice." And then this man duetted it, and he was like, "Yeah, so I really think she should have said, I will not lower my tone.'" And I was like, "You've literally just..." It's an entire song about a woman being like, I'm going to be me, I'm going to be loud, I'm going to be proud about it. And you're like, mm, but you've used the wrong word, tone, tone rap, like rhymes better with stone. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and that video just sent me sure a little bit crazy. <laughs> yeah. As you've seen it, it's based, it's based on nothing. Mm. But those things have seeped into our structures mm. in terms of the medical structure and like the medical research is based on Mm. It's based on men. Mm. Yeah, honestly, it's absolutely bizarre to me. I work for um, a mental health charity. I work for an eating disorder charity. Mm -hmm. And we do a lot of work around BMI. Yes. And it's absolutely maddening. And it's hysterical <laughs> to think just how uh, rigidly that was created around white male bodies. Mm -hmm. It doesn't adhere to... Any, it's bullshit from the start. It yeah. doesn't make sense, and mm -hmm. it is not a means of testing how healthy someone is. But when you think about the fact that even the smallest elements of how we judge those things are entirely based around male bodies, 
it's sickening. Oh, it's <laughs> it's extremely sickening. Tell us about Coin Collective. We were founded when we were all still in uni, mm -hmm. and there are five of us, five girls, and we went to the Fringe 2022 together. The members include myself, Evie, Zoe Kennebra, George Lee Roberts and Amelia Watson. And we now have an additional member called Robin Riley. She's joined as of 2023. So she is now a, a member, member as well, a founding mm -hmm. member too. Koi started because we were very keen on making theatre as women, but accessible to everyone because... I think it's very easy when you're creating an idea for a theatre company to put yourself in a box and that is it, that is what you try and achieve. Mm. We'd all seen that happen time and time again and we were like, actually, the most important thing for us is that we want to be able to grow. We are a collective. We want to be able to bring people on to work with us. We want to have people feel like, okay, I could join their company mm. and I can do a project with them and it can flow quite easily. Mm -hmm. So that was really important, especially going into making the company. Um, in the Fringe, obviously, Grace and Sally were working with us in our first project. That was Crossing the Void. And we did not really expect how well that was going to be received. Mm. We had sell-out shows pretty much every day of the Fringe. And I think a big part of that as well was that because we're female-led and we're a Scottish company, when you actually looked at the Fringe programmes, there were very few shows that were mm -hmm. small, non-funded, very low budget, with five creatives there who are also telling it from a Scottish perspective, which is crazy to think about with Fringe and that it's a Scottish yeah. festival. And that was also, our, like you said, our whole kind of incentive was to have a company that is a collective, that is fluid with who's involved, who has the microphone for the minute, who is the one that is leading the forefront. Because what we were also very keen to find a writer. was also open for that because we were like, okay, we can try and find scripts that are already here. But again, trying to find a script for five characters where it was equal weighting and it was giving each person a fair amount of time to play was also really hard to find. Never mind a part with five women. Like, mm -hmm. that just was not wow. really a thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we as a company just want to keep growing and expanding and getting more kind of um, outlooks and keeping the momentum going. Yeah, I mean, we started off with going back to Crossing the Void was a very naturalistic piece. It was characters that we had, although written by Sally, we almost made them our own, whereas the women we're portraying now, we've almost gone in the complete other direction. These are real women and we are telling their stories. Mm -hmm. And I think that was something when we knew we wanted to do hysterical, going down that route of, okay, let's try something different. Let's go down a different avenue and see how that plays out. It's really worked for us. Mm -hmm. And we know as a company, we're just gonna keep taking more and more opportunities. Mm -hmm. And it helps that we're all friends as well. <laughs> it's all about that female sport and female energy. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much, guys. Is there anything else? A little um, plug? A wee plug. <laughs> <laughs> In December, 
we will be bringing Hysterical back, but to the heart of Hoyk, and that is the 9th of December. If anyone didn't get to come and see the show we're doing tonight, you've got some other things you can look forward to, because we're not going to stop, and we're going to keep working. (laughs) (laughs) And also, the main focus is, for Fringe 2024, is that we will be doing a show in Edinburgh. And with that, our discussion came to an end. The Koi Collective will be performing Hysterical once more on the 9th of December in the heart of Hoik. For more information, please see liveborders.org.uk. It is not one to be missed. Thank you to the Koi Collective, Sally McAllister and Grace Baker for taking part in this interview. And thank you for listening to the Scottish Mental Health Arts Festival podcast.